Go. You start. Welcome to episode 265 of the All the Book Show, the official podcast of the David A. Hale Public Library. Talk book news, author news, and literary news. I'm Eric Miggles. I'm Nick Gunning. Uh, Eric, today we got a special guest. We've mm-hmm. got a special guest. Eric, mm-hmm. which one does it fall under? The book news, literary news, or hmm. author news? I guess we put it under author news because we've got an author interview coming up that I'm excited yeah. about. Eric, travel with me, if you will, back to the year okay. 2017. I can't, attended, can't even remember. You can't do it. You can't go back that <laughs> no. far. Uh, I attended the ALA conference in Chicago, and mm-hmm. it was my first ALA conference. And I had a great time at this one. Lot, lots of mm-hmm. interesting panels, just a lot of cool stuff happening. One of the panels I attended was a DC Comics panel, and one of the headline speakers was author Shay Fontana. Now, my mm-hmm. love of the DC Superhero Girls graphic novels is well-documented here on the All the mm-hmm. Book Show. Um, yeah, uh, I'd read all of those. I think I picked the first one up at the Barnes and Noble in Chicago uh, because I knew that that Shay was going to be there and hadn't. I'd seen. I think I'd seen some of the shows with my son, but I hadn't actually like read the comics. So I did, and uh, followed him all the way right through to the end. But today is Batman Day, so uh, while I couldn't resist talking about DC superhero girls, our focus for today is going to be Batman Overdrive, which is part of Ooh. the uh, DC Comics' recent push at doing some more uh, junior and YA-level stories about characters that we all know and love. Now, we have Batman Overdrive in our collection, and I checked it out as soon as it came there, and I was really pleasantly surprised by it. I had a good time with it. Mm-hmm. Um But anyway, uh, let's get to it. Shea Fontana is a writer for film, television, and graphic novels. Her credits include developing and writing the DC Superhero Girls animated shorts, TV specials, movies, and graphic novels. She's also written for top comic titles, including Justice League, Wonder Woman, Batman Overdrive, Catwoman Looney Tunes, and contributed anthology pieces starring Deathstroke and the Teen Titans. Her first nonfiction book is DC Women of Action, which was published by Chronicle in 2019. Uh, Her graphic novels have been at New York Times bestsellers and have been honored for Diamond Gem Awards, the Comixology Reader's Pick Award for Best All-Ages Graphic Novel of 2017, and the 2018 Ringo Award for Best Kids Comic or Graphic Novel. Uh, You can find more at SheaFontana.com. Now Nick, the the Ringo the Ringo Award, Award yeah. is not it's not it's not it's, about Ringo Starr. It's not a Ringo Ringo Starr doesn't pick his favorite kids comic or graphic novel. Okay, is but what we're learning with this one. I think that you're just guessing that you're just assuming from context clues that it doesn't have anything to do with Ringo Starr. Maybe it's it does. It's for kids, but it's also for yeah. adults. <laughs> I actually quite enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> I was a runner-up for a Pete Best Award, but I just mm. I had to decline yeah. it ultimately. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Uh, are you excited about Batman Day? Yes, though, you know, I live Batman Day every day yeah. in my heart. Yeah. That's you, that's the thing. You keep Batman Day in your yeah. way and let me keep it in mine. A How lot like the Sesame Street character Elmo, I once wished that Batman Day was every day. Oh. I learned my lesson. That's sweet. And that it is Batman Day every day is a great. That's very sweet. Okay, so well. We're still living in that reality. You're absolutely right. Okay. All right. Uh, let's get into it. Shea Fontana. Shay Fontana, thanks for joining us for this special Batman Day episode of the All the Book Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my first question here is I'm wondering if you picked up any new skills during this quarantine time. <laughs> um, 
I don't know about new skills. <laughs> I did get a hydroponic garden and oh. have a bunch of tomatoes growing right now. Wow. Uh, that's that's like the least skilled gardening, though, you can do because you basically just set it and make sure it has wheat, uh, water and then it does fine. But I did try to grow a little bit outside in the garden and that all ends in complete and utter failure. So yeah. <laughs> I guess I did not pick up any actual <laughs> Well, I think you're ahead because we also tried the hydroponics thing and it was a spectacular failure. I don't I don't know what happened. Oh, really? Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> no, it was not good for us. So no, you're you're ahead. You're ahead in that regard. Do you, did you have the one where it like tells you when you need to refill the water and all of that? No, ours was very low tech. I mean, we had the light and we had we had it all set up and just watched it and stayed on it and it just uh, a few things sprouted but died quickly. So, you know, our streak continues. Neither my wife nor I are any good at gardening. <laughs> so well i feel very proud of myself now. yeah well good I, I i made some tomatoes grow so okay yeah that's i'm nice really feeling great about that definitely uh, however when you stop to consider how much the garden was and uh you know <laughs> <laughs> they're like 50 dollars tomatoes right each tomato yeah. so far <laughs> well you'll enjoy them that much more then it's a satisfaction and a yeah. job well done right well, I'm really excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to talk to you about Batman Overdrive. Uh, I mean, I checked it out as soon as our copy came into the library. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to go back a few years because I attended your panels at the ALA conference in Chicago in 2017. And I, oh, I mean, wow. That that whole conference, I had a great time at that whole conference. I thought all the stuff DC did was really fun. And it was just, a, it was a great experience overall. Uh, but you you said some things in in your panel that were really interesting to me, particularly about how you got into comic book writing, because it sounds like you got into it by way of television writing. Is that true? That is absolutely true. So I went about it in a very backwards way yeah. for most people to get into comic book writing. Um, I started in animation writing um, from the time I was a kid. I knew I wanted to be a writer. And in college, I found animation and realized that that allowed me to be the silly, fun person that I wanted to be when I was writing. So I had pursued animation from college on forward. And uh, I guess it was 2014, 2015, uh, as DC Superhero Girls was starting to become an idea that DC was thinking about. They reached out to me to do a pitch on this show and sort of... At the overall brand, as it were, um, because it really was, it was a partnership between Mattel, DC, and Warner Brothers. So they were thinking of it as an entire sort of universe, multi-platform kind of thing, uh, where there was animation, there was books, there's toys, you know, really wanted to take this storytelling in all the different directions. Yeah. But it was all planned from the beginning. So okay. it was planned that there would be the webisodes and there would be the movies. And it really took off from there, and they knew they went into graphic novels as well. So at some point, when they were starting to think of those graphic novels, since I had written all of the other material, they did reach out to me and ask if I would be interested in doing graphic novels. Um, and I had never really thought about comic book writing uh, as a possibility yeah. before. Um, so I dove in with the help of some great editors at DC who gave me a lot of scripts to look at. You know, I did the the classic thing of, you know, getting the script for a comic book and the comic book and then comparing like side by side, side, mm. by side what each panel looks like. 
in the finished product compared to what it looks like in the script and how that all works. Okay. Um, so it was an interesting experience to get thrown into really the deep end of licensed comics from yeah. the get-go, whereas most people, uh, sort of the general career trajectory for a lot of comic book writers is that you start in indie comics and you smart start yeah. into a lot of smaller things and then you work your way up to uh, licensed comics at DC or Marvel or wherever yeah. you may be. Um, so it's it was a very different sort of experience. Um, and now I am definitely looking to get more into the creator-owned side of comics because okay. I really fell in love with graphic novel writing from that and doing Batman as well. So it, it was, I think comic book writing and graphic novels are, you know, just one of the most fun and exciting types of writing. Yeah. And right now, the, the boom that they're having in the world, it's really just great to see how interested kids are in graphic novels yeah. and see the success of graphic novels uh, that's currently happening. Yeah. Well, I think they, they inspire reading in a way that, you know, regular picture books or, you know, like junior level chapter books just, just don't tend to. I see that in my own son who's six, you know, he really gravitates towards the graphic novel uh, format. And I, you know, I've just seen his reading improve so quickly because of that. So I think it's a really... It's popular, but it's also really crucial, I think, in, in developing a new generation of readers, which is so important. Now, it, it seems to me that that would be kind of a, a daunting prospect moving over to comic books, because like you said, you know, you're you're coming at it sort of from the top because you're starting with really top tier characters, Wonder Woman, Batgirl. I mean, the works you've, you've got you've got the cream of the crop. So was that intimidating for you? Not in that way. It okay. was really exciting and inspirational to be able to jump into those characters. And it is nice with licensed characters that you do have a basis to work sure. from. So it's not, I'm, you're still staring at the blank page to begin with, but mm -hmm. you know, you know who the characters are, you know, a little bit about what you're getting into. So it's not as much creating the entire world from scratch. Yeah. But it was really it just we had such a great team on that and it was really fun and always, you know, if you if I ever needed help, there were editors at DC who were instantly willing to, you know, stop and chat about anything that was a difficulty within the story. So it was really I never felt daunted by it in any way, but okay. it was just really exciting to be able to jump in and do it. I assume that while there's certainly similarities, like you said, you're familiar with the characters, you've been scripting them on screen uh, for a long time at this point, but it must flex some different muscles when you're when you're working in this medium. How do you how do you approach that as a writer? I would say actually animation and graphic novels have a ton in common okay. from a writing perspective because both are so visually driven. So it really takes a person who is thinking visually. I think there's a lot more of a difference between like writing animation and writing a prose novel because yeah. that's just a, a very different space. But in both animation and graphic novels, you are essentially telling the story through pictures and through the visuals. Of course, dialogue helps, um, but you want the visuals to carry a lot of the weight of the story. So I think there's a lot of similarities in that way, but it's also, there are some um, 
obviously strengths in the graphic novel that you don't get as much in animation. Mm. I think you can get into the characters' heads a lot more in a graphic novel. You have those, you know, the caption boxes. You have those sort of narration devices that allow you to get a little bit more um, of that flair of what's going on inside the character, um, where generally in animation we stay away from sort of voiceover and all that kind of those techniques yeah. that allow you to get just more of an inside glimpse of the character. Mm -hmm. um, Though there's certainly a lot of artsy things that go on in animation, I think you can be a bit more abstract in graphic novels with the way things are portrayed and, you know, filling that, the more kind of abstract artsiness of the graphic novel and the visuals as compared to a strict animated cartoon where it is pretty much, um, you know, there is certain fantasy bits, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily as ethereal or heady in that way. Okay. Now, you said that from the start, the DC Superhero Girls was intended to be a whole, uh, you know, a, a brand upon itself with all these different, you know, different different mediums, different toys. I mean, I know I step on the Legos all the time, so I know they're, uh, they're very popular, <laughs> but... I, <laughs> You know, up until this point, there really hadn't been, at least if there was, I missed it, but I, there hadn't really been a concerted effort to market uh, these characters specifically to young girls. And I think that's one of the things that DC Superhero Girls was able to accomplish so well is, sure, I think it, it probably has that slant, but I think that it has such a broad appeal, you know, that, that I think it's been really successful in that way. What were you hoping to accomplish working with those characters with that in mind? I mean, really, from my perspective, it's creating just great content yeah. with uh, females in the lead, females as the heroes mm -hmm. of their own story, um, having these women characters that, you know, age down to teenage girls yeah. and showing them be the proactive protagonists that are taking charge. Uh, so often, even in, you know, some of the more female-centric, uh, if you would call it that, comic books, the girl characters and the women characters kind of get relegated to secondary roles. Yeah. Um, so it's, we really wanted to take these characters who, you know, Wonder Woman obviously has her own comic book, Batgirl has sure. got her own comic book. But a lot of these other characters, you know, they were one member in a team of five yeah. and they were the only girl among those <laughs> five characters kind of thing. So we really wanted to bring them together and bring out their strengths and give them stories where they were really the central hero of the stories. Not okay. that there weren't boy characters around. We were absolutely, you know, we wanted to make sure that there were plenty of boy characters mm -hmm. represented as well. But it really was just looking at the world and the storytelling that we're doing from the perspective of these female characters. Um, so I did. I, I, when writing it, I never was like, I'm specifically making something for girls. Sure. Um, I knew it was something that I would have personally liked as a kid, <laughs> but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't from the perspective of we are doing this specifically for girls or only for girls. It, I think great storytelling is going to work across, you know, all genders oh, yeah. and all people, as long as it holds up and has, you know, that heart and the action and the things that we love about superheroes. So I certainly, I mean, from a toy perspective, there is still a very, 
you know, solid divide between yeah. the pink aisle and the blue aisle. <laughs> um, yeah. So there was certainly those conversations that were happening in that realm because uh, that is how toys are defined. Yeah. Um, but from a overall content perspective, it wasn't like we were specifically you know, targeting just the girl audience. We really wanted to go for a broad kid audience, knowing that girls have not had a lot of representation, have not often been able to see themselves as portrayed as the hero in a lot of uh, previous superhero uh, storytelling. Yes. And so just making sure there was an emphasis on that, but it wasn't, we, it, it wasn't a gendered look at our audience. I think it accomplishes that balance really well because it really does. I mean, they're just fun, exciting stories, you know, no matter who you are or, or where you're coming from. And I like what you're saying about, you know, taking, sure, you've got your marquee characters, but but pulling some of these more obscure characters and bringing them in. I think Big Barda is a, a perfect example, which is, you know, sort of a, a, a deep cut into like Jack Kirby era comics. Uh, so to bring her out forward like that, I, I thought was a fun thing to do. And, you know, because the series is set in its own continuity and, you know, you're working sort of from a, from a different, uh, you know, world than mainstream DC Comics, I just wondered if there was anything that you were really wanting to do that you were told, oh, no, you can't do that, or if you had uh, flexible options. It was really very, very broad. Um, and as I said, everyone was super supportive of the writer kind of vision and what we were going for. From the beginning, I think, collectively as a group uh we wanted to avoid too much batman and superman mm, just because yeah. they kind of they tend to take over the things that they're involved in yeah. um so we did want to make sure that the focus remained really on our girl characters here the one thing that i specifically ever got like actual pushback on was in the original bible uh the show bible Lobo was the vice principal <laughs> instead of Broad, okay. um, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, they were very, I mean, obviously Lobo is not exactly a G-rated character sure. in yeah. the comics, yeah. but they were, they were hesitant about putting him in that role. And we went with Broad instead, which I think is hilarious because Gorilla Grodd in a blazer and bow tie yeah. is just a funny image and then we did end up bringing Lobo back in as one of the students from a competing school in right. that storyline but yeah that was the only thing I huh. specifically like like didn't understand exactly why there was pushback about you know of course yeah. there's a lot of collaboration and there are notes along the way um but that was the only thing that was kind of out of off the table from in the initial uh, pitch bible that I did. Interesting. Now, as far as as far as your process goes, I mean, you, you, clearly, I mean, you're a creative and, and busy uh, working writer, and and I'm always fascinated to learn how people manage the the concept of um, having to be creative on command. You know, I, I mean, are there are there times when uh, you're just not feeling it, but you you're pushing up on a deadline, or you know, you've got something, you know, like all right, I have to do this, because that seems to me like it'd be really hard to to do that. I think that's the difference between sort of the craft of it and the, you know, the the muse of it. Yeah. Um, so 
I think really as a working writer, you have to have such just solid story craft skills and be able to rely on that toolbox of, especially now at this point in my career, you know, it is certainly a lot easier for me than it was early on Mm -hmm. because you aren't, you don't have that sort of you like sixth sense knowledge as you call it of how a story works and you know where's the low point and where where do we have the change where's the art come in those kind of things um which i've written i think i think i've worked on about 500 episodes wow. of tv at this point five <laughs> so i feel like i can pretty much dive into a story and know at least like the basic kind of structural things, you know, there is certainly technique that just comes in on, you know, making a joke work, making a yeah, setup yeah. and a punchline work. You know, what is the silly cutaway that you look at? What, where's the visual punchline? Those are all really things that you can learn. Some of them are hard to learn from books and things that you really yeah. have to learn by doing them over and over again. Uh, there's a, a lot of what I just said. I'm like, I don't know how I would explain that or teach that to someone else. It's just something you start picking up and mm-hmm. filling out along the way and starting to understand how those things work. Um, but certainly people who are smarter than I have written <laughs> books about those kind of things and written about how to do joke writing or sitcom writing and those kind of things. So I think there's a lot of that that is just the craft of being a writer that you have to separate from sort of our romantic idea of, you know, a, a writer just waiting on a beach to get inspiration for an idea and then running off and writing a novel. Yeah. Um, I don't think for most writers, especially working writers, that's how it works. It is, you know, just honing those skills and those muscles of being able to come up with a premise or look at, you know, the basic essence of a show, if you're going into any sort of TV uh, writing room and thinking like, okay, here are the characters. What kind of trouble can I get those characters in? What do those characters want? How do you start breaking those down into stories that you can just churn out as, you know, it's a work. It's not not just the fun or the the artsiness and the creativity of writing. It's uh, putting in the work and using the craft and skills that you gain along the way to make it work. Okay. Uh, let's talk for a minute about Wonder Woman, Heart of the Amazon. Because uh, you'd been writing DC Superhero Girls for many years, and then I'm wondering how the how the difference was here when you're switching over to writing uh, for the mainstream Wonder Woman line in continuity. Uh, was that an exciting process for you? Did you have a good time on that piece? Yeah, it was really, really fun. It was sort of in the middle of my DC Superhero Girls run, they asked me if I would be interested in doing the regular Wonder Woman. And of course I was, you can't say no to Wonder Woman. No, you can't. Um, And it was, I definitely had a leg up on the character from having done DC superhero girls for so long and, you know, been immersed in the character of Diana. Um, So I wouldn't say from a process perspective that it was that much different it was it was thinking of the character now what are her adult problems as compared Uh to her teenage problems and how does that change but i think you know from the essence of the character the character dna diana's always you know she's struggling and striving for justice for the world 
and trying to bring peace. Um, mm-hmm. You know, her primary motive, it, it's not about, you know, putting people in jail for a long time. It's trying to bring peace to a situation okay. and figuring out, you know, what is the sort of restorative justice uh, angle that we can address the situation with. So yeah, that it was just, it was a really fun time to work on that title. It was right at, as the Wonder Woman movie was coming out. My first issue oh, yeah. came out. So wow. it was like the summer, the summer of Wonder Woman. All movie. eyes on Wonder Woman at that point. Definitely. Uh, I've spoken with other authors about how it can sometimes be tricky switching uh, writing for demographics, you know, flipping that switch in your mind of this is for an older crowd and how that affects your writing. Is that something you struggled with here or was it a natural transition? I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's an interesting question. I've never thought of it in that framing before. Um, it was definitely exploring a different side and getting into some of the more, I would say, philosophical issues yeah. of being a superhero than you would do in more of a kid-oriented sort of story. Mm-hmm. I don't. I wouldn't say that it was necessarily a struggle to think of it that way. Um, But yeah, it was, it was an interesting challenge. It was definitely a a different sort of process going in with the artist and, you know, really looking at more adult sort of themes. Okay. Well, let's, uh, I mean, it's Batman day after all. So why don't we uh, zoom into some Batman overdrive here? Uh, Can you tell me how this one came about? Yeah, so this was uh, about the time um, DC Superhero Girls was super successful. I think it was what DC was looking at the kids and young adult graphic novel market, which obviously in the past decade, particularly so in the past five years or so, has just skyrocketed in an amazingly (laughs) immense way that if you told people in the nineties, like every kid at school is going to be reading all these graphic novels. You're like, no, no, (laughs) are are they about superheroes? What are you talking about? Graphic novels that are, (laughs) you know, kind of these other sort of stories that we didn't used to um, think about in the comic book format, but obviously they really um, took over and DC was launching its whole new line of graphic novels for, you know, kids and young adults. So they reached out to me to ask what character I would be interested in. And having done, I think by the time I ended on DC Superhero Girls, I had done something like 90 shorts, three movies, a TV special, eight graphic novels. Wow. So I had done a lot of these girl characters and the one character that I didn't get to write in the DC sandbox was Batman. Mm. And Batman was really, you know, my first love in comics. I think for many of us who are kids in the early nineties, Batman, the animated series, which is such a huge influence on my life and my tastes and you know, that that experience of watching that really is what turned me on, I think, in a lot of ways to animation and that mm-hmm. sort of s- storytelling. So I pitched this Batman idea that was really the origin of the Batmobile, as well as, you know, those first sprinklings of Bruce Wayne becoming Batman as a teenager. Um, and they went for it. So that's how that one came about. 
it's an interesting take, and I've, I've, I've got to be honest, I was skeptical about, I was like, oh, is this a Batman origin? Because I've seen his parents die so many times at this point, you know. <laughs> and uh, But picking up this book, I was really, I was impressed with the way you managed to tell that story with a completely different lens. You know, I think... Um, the way it focuses on Bruce sort of coming to terms with this, the way he's channeling his energies into, you know, he's focusing on his dad's old car, he's focusing on his parents' killers. We've also never really seen that sort of, um, you know, teenage rebellion between him and Alfred. You've always just, for the most part, been given a pretty uh, idealistic version of what that would be like. So I thought that... um, I, I really think the strength of the book are finding new things in a story that, that we've seen a lot. Um, you mentioned Batman the Animated Series, but I wondered uh, if you were drawing on any specific era of Batman as sort of a guide. I, of course, noticed the nods to Adam West with the Cru- Crusader 66 car. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there wasn't anything specific, uh, especially for the middle grade and YA novels yeah. that DC is doing. Those are all out of co- continuity. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't say that there was like a specific era of Batman that I was drawing on, other than I think subconsciously everything I would do with Batman is somehow married to Batman the Animated Series sure. because yeah. that was so formative for my brain and yeah. formative for my idea of Batman. Um, yeah, but it was... I. I was really always, the, the relationship between Alfred and Bruce is in many ways like so bizarre. Yes, yeah. <laughs> when you think of him as an adult, like it's his butler right. and he kind of treats him like a butler, but also it was his guardian from right. the age of 10 forward. Like, yeah. So it's, it's an odd sort of relationship that they have, but obviously without Alfred, I don't think Bruce Wayne would be a very good Batman because sure. he really relies on Alfred so much to, you know, be the, his support system. So, yeah, I just really wanted to explore that relationship. And, you know, this idea in these interceding years that we don't know much about what Bruce Wayne was up to. Yeah. Obviously, as someone who had this and I it was like a struggle of like oh I don't want to do this whole parent dying thing like every everybody's done this in every origin story of Batman ever we've we've covered it but if your parents were killed in front of you when you were a kid obviously that's the most formative moment of your life right so I think you do have to address that within the context of any Batman story I think so I wanted to kind of find like, you know, what is the emotional sort of ramifications of that on a teenager, you know, where obviously in, um, in this story, Batman Overdrive, Bruce is pretty angry. He's really, you know, he's dealing with a lot. He's not gone through all of his stages of grief, we'll say. He's kind of, kind of stuck on angry and trying to figure out what's, this world is and his world feels hostile to yeah. him it does it feels like a not a safe place so it really is him coming to terms with this and finding that safety within alfred and recognizing that alfred is you know basically his safety net and he's going to be the one that's there for him and accepting that and you know, being able to evolve a bit. I think early on in my process with Batman and with the story, I wanted to 
bring out a slightly more hopeful version of Batman. Yeah. Uh, as sort of Bruce Wayne that might have a chance at being happy. <laughs> I think there's a lot of a lot of brooding Bruce Wayne stories where, you know, he is struggling so much with his personal life and, you know, with his relationships and, you know, what could we have done to, when he was a teenager to help him, you know, open himself up a bit more. Yeah. And, you know, I think most bat stories are loner Bruce Wayne learns that he needs the Bat family kind yeah. of thing. So we're certainly doing that here, but I think we've found a, another angle at it. And, you know, just the fun of Bruce Wayne as a teenager as yeah. well is, was really exciting to get into. Well, I agree. And I mean, I think that comes across on the page. And I think, you know, as you're talking about him coming to terms with all this stuff, de dealing with, uh, you know, the the cards he was dealt i think using his dad's car as a place to sort of channel his his aggressions and his energies like having that be something that like okay he can control this he can work on this there's a beginning and end i think that makes sense just psychologically that that would be something that he really need to, needed to sort of move on and you know there's always a, there's always that moment in in any sort of early batman where he has to be like well i guess i'll dress like a bat and go fight crime you know and i think <laughs> i think what you were able to do with you know having it be about the car and hiding his identity and all that made that transition a lot more like reasonable you know than than it tends to be in other in other things uh, I also want to talk about one of your original characters here for a minute. So let's talk Mateo Diaz, uh, who takes on the persona of Doc a little later in, in the book. I was interested that um, you didn't choose to use one of the, you know, established like Bruce friends like Tommy Elliott or even like a Harvey Dent situation. I think it serves the story much better to have this original character. And I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your what, what went into your mind about making this character. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Mateo was has been one of my favorite characters to write and really getting into it. I did look at some of the characters that existed and yeah. no one felt like the right fit for yeah. that. I really wanted Matteo to be the counterpoint to Bruce's armor that he's put on to keep mm -hmm. everyone out. Um, and really he's just has the warmest, friendliest heart. He does not get Bruce's, kind of social cues that he wants to be left alone yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's just there and he's really just this in, incredibly kind and empathetic kid yeah um so it was really fun to get into that character and and bring something new to the batman world well it's a nice it's a nice variation on how you usually see those relationships because often like you said bruce will do his little thing where he's like oh i'm, I'm sad and i want to be alone where in mateo's response to it i liked because it was more kind of like yeah okay whatever man you know he was just kind of like you know chill about it <laughs> letting him do his own thing and I, I thought that dynamic was was really interesting and i wondered if there were more plans for that character beyond this uh, book I would love to write that character again. Um, there are not currently any sequel plans, but maybe one oh, day in the future. That was my next question because it really, the way it ends to me, <laughs> to me, I'm I'm ready for volume two. I mean, I think it's kind of begging for a sequel. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see that again. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would love to write it. Well, if you're down for it, I want to do a quick Batman Day lightning round where I ask you some Batman questions. You just give me the first answer you got. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. What is your earliest memory of Batman? I would, um, my first memory I was going to say is Batman the Animated Series, uh -huh. but probably the Batman 89 movie would oh, be the okay. 
before that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's your favorite on-screen Batman? Who? My favorite on-screen That's Batman? such a tough one. Sounds like Keaton mm. was the first Batman. <laughs> You know what I I loved uh, his portrayal of Batman a because where he it was before this kind of super jacked up superhero yeah. uh, type that we are now like and you know you watch a superhero movie and it's the biggest strongest guy you have right. ever seen in the yeah. world uh, <laughs> like just impossible standards uh-huh. I feel like Keaton's Batman there was sort of a you know, obviously why he was still Batman and still tough and all that. There was like a, a believability to it yeah. that I, you saw like some of these actors that play superheroes walking down the street, you'd be like, Oh my God, they're a superhero. Yeah. Um, yeah. You wouldn't, with, you wouldn't yeah. see and be like, Oh, that, that's, yeah, that's a guy who runs a corporate board somewhere probably. <laughs> so I like the believability there. I okay. think that. That is probably my favorite, Batman. All right. Who is your favorite member of the Bat family outside of Batman? Well, Batgirl, obviously. That's what I thought you'd say. All right. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Favorite Batman villain? Hmm. I, as a kid, I remember liking the Riddler a lot. Oh, yeah. As okay. a person who tried to write the Riddler in a couple of the DC Superhero ep- Girls episodes, um, it is so hard to come up with good <laughs> riddles. <laughs> <laughs> So I will. I, I really enjoyed the Riddler, and I I like the conceit of the riddles. Um, but I will say, from a writing perspective, it is very difficult to come up with a good riddle. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Uh, if you could write any Bat character in in a spinoff, so not Batman, not Batgirl, but a different Bat character, who would it be? Villain or good guy? I would say Harley Quinn. Okay. Um, I'm going to count her still as a Bat character. Yeah. that's where she. Is. Even though Definitely. she's now got, got plenty of her own things going she does, on, yeah. she was my favorite character to write. Yeah, I in DC superhero girls, and she just has a kookiness to her that it's it's so fun to write her. Yeah, well, she's certainly been having a moment these last couple of years, you know, where she's she's on uh, she's suddenly become top tier in a way that I doubt Batman the animated series expected <laughs> that character would yeah, ever be. Absolutely. Uh, well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I wonder if you've got any new projects that you could give us a little tease on, people to look forward to. Ooh, there's a lot of things I can't talk about. Understood. So pay attention to my Twitter is Shay Fontana. Uh, so keep an eye out for announcements of new things. I have been working on a Polly Pocket animated series, um, and that is currently available on Netflix with oh, new okay. seasons coming soon. All right. Well, Shay, thanks so much for talking to you today on this special Batman Day episode. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. What a fun interview. <laughs> yeah, we had a good time. I I truly have never, like both my wife and I, we just cannot grow things in a garden. I I don't know why. I don't know why, but it's just yeah. not a skill that either one of us have. Well, so what are you going to do? Uh, your, your wife, Hillary, notoriously has the anti-green thumb. Yeah, whatever the opposite of a green thumb is, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm right there yeah, with if, her. If Darkseid was looking for the anti-life equator, it might be in Hillary's thumb. It's possible. <laughs> to fail at a hydroponics garden, I think, was uh, it was a bitter pill for both of us to swallow. But I'm, gl- I'm glad that Shay had better you know luck what? than me. Ken- Kendra, every time I buy flowers, I feel so guilty because it's just like, well, you're coming home to die. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah. do you think that Lobo would have made a good vice principal? Listen, 
I like the idea, yeah. but I can totally understand why DC's like, oh, you're a, no, wow. no way. You're taking the side of the man on that one. Jeez. I, I, it's just Lobo. I love I love the idea of Lobo being like, get out of my office. Yeah. And, but like, he is also such a volatile character. I like you know, to think about Lobo he, he getting his master's used. in education. You know what I mean? Think, I, I like to th- going through that. I that like process. to think about that. Yeah, and about only, what it's core and, for. And getting the vice principal job, yeah. not the principal job. Yeah, well, not the main man wouldn't have liked that. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So. Grod's a solid <laughs> choice, though. Grod's a solid choice. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Grod is also just. I mean, I guess that's the thing is you put a villain in the yeah the vice principal you role. That to. makes sense. You yeah, have to. Yeah, Lobo's that teacher that like. After school, you go to like uh, you you go to like the gas station, yeah, and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna run in to get something. And he's coming on the he's coming out with the with the brown paper bag, yeah. It's like, oh, hey, how was uh, how was school today? Yeah, uh, well, you know what, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, and instead of like baguettes sticking out, it's just extra large Slim Jims, you know, mm-hmm. coming yeah. out of the top of that yeah. bag. Uh, anyway. yeah, hey, I guess I as a gym teacher, maybe. Yeah, yeah. He, he seems like the. <laughs> He seems like the student who who graduated years ago and just keeps showing up. Yeah, he's just always like working on his motorcycle out back after the high after high school gets that's out. That's kind like, of how they eventually hey, what's did. Going on? Yeah, that's pretty much how they did use Lobo eventually yeah. in that series when he's like she mentioned from another school he comes in. But yeah, yeah you, you do still get that. Another Batman the animated series fan. So right there, you know, yeah. she's she's coming from good pedigree. Yeah, so that's many. good. Uh, I've often wondered because you know with the new the new Rob Pattinson movie that's coming out the whole thing about somebody cracking the Riddler's code you know like there was just a little have you heard about this it was just like a little blip in the trailer of a riddle Mm -hmm. and somebody went through and actually cracked that code but I've often thought like somebody is crafting these riddles you know yeah that's why um, he's not really featured on the Batman animated series they said it's just a very difficult character to like do in an animated series that yeah tends to lean more actiony yeah so there's really only like one great riddler episode out of like three right in that animated series and it's more and it's the one where he's like maybe reforming yeah so yeah riddle i i often think that like oh wouldn't it be great if i could write batman and be like no one batman's supposed to be the smartest person ever yeah so that would be i would just look like an idiot writing him like i don't know where what what this blood is and then two you you could just never use the riddler i yeah. could never use him because yeah. i'd just be like riddle me this batman uh... you, should you take a left turn <laughs> yeah exactly yes no well anyway uh the book is batman overdrive which is which is in stores or your local library right now and it's a good time it's a good time you know teenage bruce wayne uh like i said in the interview i mean it's just it's a great lens to sort of channel bruce wayne's mania into like obsessing over this car and trying to solve his parents murder mystery so it's a fun book and you know the strength of it lies in taking a story that we've heard a lot focusing on completely different angles of it and really telling a a unique story within the confines of characters and situations that we love so uh, i highly recommend the book so go out and check that out you can also catch polly pocket on netflix as she was mentioning and you can i mean those tiny little figurines and those little pocket things i mean what what it was polly pocket and what was his his mighty max Mighty Max, yeah. gosh, and they both had anime. At least oh, Mighty yeah. Max, did. it was big business they, everywhere. I and then like McDonald's or Burger King were like, come to come to the store and you get a Mighty Max or Polly Pocket. But it was even smaller, yeah, than Tinier. the ones you get in the store. This was the mini Polly Pocket, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, and it was I so, mean, you just had them on that little rail, but you just sit there and do it for hours. What I, was wrong with me? I never did either Polly Pocket or Mighty Max. I mean, I know they were super hip. 
Um, mm-hmm. I was all about micro machines, though. If you want sure. to talk things okay. that were mini, I mean, micro machines. That was how was there not a micro machine show, right? Uh, I don't know. We should, I, should, there... I should have asked Shay Fontana about that. She should. She should get on it. Don't you think? Yes, uh, I'm double checking because that seems impossible that there wasn't. But yeah. it doesn't seem like there was a micro machine. Well, I know. What are you gonna do? Crazy. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Uh, our thanks again to Shay Fontana, and I encourage you to go check out Batman Overdrive. Watch Polly Pocket on Netflix, and hey. DC Superhero Girls is always a good time. So if you haven't read the graphics or or seen the the shorts or the movies, check them out. You can find more at shayfontana.com or by following her on Twitter at shayfontana. That's right. Uh, Eric, happy Batman Day. Happy Batman Day, Nick. I'll see you tomorrow for more Batman Day. All right. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.